Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. On this episode of the Loveland Libcast, I was able to chat with two poets, Lynn Kincannon and Joe Hutchison, in anticipation of the Encounters with Poets workshops at the Loveland Public Library. These workshops will be held on October 1st, November 5th, January 7th, and February 4th from 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Space is limited, and registration is required for each individual workshop. Please visit lovlib.org slash events for more information and to register. Lynn Kincannon is the current Poet Laureate of Loveland, Colorado. She is a retired nurse practitioner with over 35 years in ICUs and emergency rooms. As a poet, she has been in several poetry exhibits and has been published in anthologies and online publications. She is involved in keeping poetry alive in Loveland, co-creating collaborative performances of poetry, music, and storytelling for many years. She has written two self-published ekphrastic chapbooks coinciding with installations at Artworks and Loveland's Feed and Grain. She has recently finished a book of poems about her work as a nurse practitioner as well as her love of nature, both underlining the fragile intersect between life and death. And now my conversation with Lincoln Cannon. Welcome to the podcast, Lynn. Thank you, Daniel. I would like to start by getting to know you a little bit and especially your poetry practice. So my first question, when did you start writing poetry and how did you discover your love of poetry? Mm, great question. And thanks for having me, really. And thanks for working with us at the Poet Laureate Committee. Yeah, my yeah. pleasure. Yeah, yes, we're, we're, been... we, we love working with you all. So Wonderful. this is great. Well, I was a very introverted child. It seemed I was always escaping into books. My mom and dad were great readers. My dad probably read two nonfiction books a week, a self-educated man. And so I used to just sit in chairs and read books, sit on the porch and read books. And I was in the great books club and they just really encouraged that. But it was in my sixth grade with Mrs. Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Cannon was my English teacher and um, she's a woman I will never forget. She helped us to learn poetry, to memorize poetry, and to recite poetry, <laughs> which scared me, but also helped me and inspired me. So that was really the initial push into the poetry world. I love hearing about teachers who kind of, mm, yes. you know, inspire us or help cultivate our love of something. And that's really interesting. So would you all get to pick poems to memorize or was no. that part of oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing is i still know two of them today oh wow that's heart. amazing yes it is amazing <laughs> yeah yeah but she chose historic poems like in flanders field and you know they were poems that she wanted you to know yeah so she thought were important to it, know yeah that's wonderful mm -hmm. and it just makes me think too like how many kids in that class went through that experience and maybe they were scared of public speaking or something but right. also maybe it touched them or they still remember those poems as well right. so yeah well, when you go to the reunions she has talked about very frequently as somebody who instilled fear <laughs> <laughs> 
but also the love of English. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And how did your poetry practice develop, and what does it look like now? Well, I didn't really go on to write a lot of poetry at that time. I wrote some in high school, I wrote some in college, and I wrote some sporadically. I read a lot. I read a lot of poetry and took some classes. And then when I moved here to Colorado, it began in earnest. I started to take workshops that were offered. I started to read a lot more, started to take some online classes, and then really began to write poetry. And then they had an open mic at the museum, probably, I don't know, 16 years ago was when I braved it enough to get up there and read some of my poetry. So that started me performing my poetry is to have that venue. It was quite lovely. So that really started me in earnest. They gave you prompts every week. Prompts are a great way to begin to write poetry and to broaden your subject matter. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, yeah. Instead of being love lost all the time, you know, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. When did you move to Colorado? Did you come directly to Loveland or... I came directly to Loveland in 2000. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I had just graduated my master's in nursing, and I moved here to work okay. with the cardiology group. And so when you were in high school and, and after that writing poetry, did you have kind of a career aspiration out of it, or was it more just for yourself? I think it was more for myself because it was a way that I processed the world. You know, I consider myself a very sensitive person. Many people are, of course, but that's just how I was able to think about the world and be able to incorporate it or or let it go, or, or process it. Six years ago, I took a course by Rosemary Wachola Traumer. She's a fabulous performance poet out of the Western Slope, and, and it was here at the library. She taught us to write every day, and, and perhaps even brave it enough to write a poem a day, and it doesn't matter if it's a good poem or a bad poem. So I started that very day writing a poem a day, and I've done it for, well, I'm into my sixth year right now. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Some of them are bad and some of them are very, very good. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure just building that into your day, it starts to become something that you probably like doing. That also seems helpful with those prompts, too, to expand how you look at things through the lens of poetry. Right. And what you look at and the things that you think about. And then you do a little research on things that you don't know, which is really very nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. And as I introduced you, You are our Loveland Poet Laureate. Could you tell us more about the Loveland Poet Laureate program and how you became involved in that? Yeah, I'm excited to. I think many people had the idea that Loveland needed a Poet Laureate, and many people had the idea that Veronica Patterson should be our first Poet Laureate. (laughs) And so we came together to form a committee to make that happen, and that included the city. I guess I could just put quotation marks around the city. (laughs) Sure. It included many people who helped us research and define what a Poet Laureate did in a particular city and what Loveland wanted a Poet Laureate to be. So that began in 2018 with a very small committee of very devoted women who met every week practically to <laughs> kind of start a celebration of the life and work of Veronica Patterson, who was so instrumental in bringing opportunity for poets in this town. And so we decided that she was going to be the first recipient. It's her namesake. It's named the Veronica Patterson Poet Laureate Award in perpetuity. So that started, and she was it for three years, and then I was awarded the second Poet Laureate position, which is quite an honor. All right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our committee, actually, it includes um, a lot of great people who have done a lot in the poetry world. Nancy Jacobson, Emily Ramos, Connie Winters, Lori Wolf, Eve Bingham, and, of course, Veronica Patterson and myself. 
And then we have, since I became Poet Laureate, I know how to delegate pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) And I know kind of what I wanted to vision. So we started subcommittees on events subcommittees. And that's Evan Oakley, who is going to be teaching one of our workshops. And Mark Sanchez, he's on. And then we have a fundraising committee, which we desperately need. So we have BJ Clark and Lori Wolf and... And then we have ancillary committees that Lori White and Beth Lechleitner have been on. We learned Beth from one of your podcasts. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's the committee. And if anybody wants to be involved in the committee or volunteer or help us fundraise or want to know more about it, they can certainly contact me. I think it's very cool that Loveland has its own poet laureate and such dedicated Uh poets and such a wonderful culture of poetry appreciation in creation. It's really special. So my final question for you and your poetry practice, what is the best advice you have received about approaching or creating poetry? Well, this is not my own advice. It's advice, of course, that I've received throughout my life, Uh right? And in workshops from all these brilliant poets is to read, you know, read, read, read. (laughs) Yeah. Daily, you Mm -hmm. know, and not only just poetry, but great books. What I've learned is to begin my day just noticing out of the box, you know, the minute you wake up, notice something about the light or, you know, the day and not to just get in your head and start thinking what you're going to do during the day, but just stay in the moment and notice the moment, notice the day and be aware of conversations that occur and memories that are evoked and sights that you see and smells that you smell and the snippets of conversation you might hear, you know. And then I was in a workshop with Chloe Leisure at CSU. They do the Osher classes, mm-hmm. several opportunities to get in classes there. And then she taught us how to wild write, which is just to put your pen down on a piece of paper, sit down to write, <laughs> put your pen on a piece of paper and start writing and do not lift your pen. Don't just pause and think, oh, that's terrible. Cross it out. No, just keep writing for 10 minutes. Yeah. You know? and. And it doesn't have to be good. And you just look at it and read it again and see if there's a snippet with which you can write a poem or develop something out of that or not. Yeah. It could be really bad. And right. you've yeah. just written something and, and you've just honed your craft, right? That's right. what my daily writing is. I hone my craft. You write, you write, you write. And it just gets easier and easier, just like practicing anything. Sometimes the most important step is to not edit before you even create it. And people do that. They place the editing first. They say, oh, this isn't good or I shouldn't. And it's, that's, that's another yes. step. First is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Revise afterwards, right? And Patty Ann Rogers had a, another workshop here at the library <laughs> brought by the Poet Laureate Committee. And she said, you need to revise at least 17 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a important step. But when you do that first, it's like, well, create first and then revise. Right, and then revise, right. <laughs> yeah. But don't revise too much. I, I actually have revised poems that I had to go back and add back, you know, put that edge <laughs> right. back or put something back that, Sure, you know, yeah. Mean, Sometimes the revision is mm-hmm. reincorporating a previous right, exactly. <laughs> draft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I love hearing the answers to that question. A lot of the stuff is like, yes, it's valuable for a creative discipline, but sometimes too, it's just good advice for <laughs> enjoying life and exactly. Yeah. Living in the moment. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be living in the future. Even in your job, so many poets write about their work or they write about their father's work or they write about their mother's work yeah. right? or housework. Or, and so it's really important to just stay in that moment so that you're able to really live in the moment and write about the moment yeah. and, and experience the moment. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to discuss now those poetry workshops. 
Each workshop is led by a different instructor and will focus on a different poet. The registration is up and you could pick and choose which ones you want to go to or you could try to register for all of them, but you want to make sure that you register for them individually. Registering for one will not get you into all of them. Lynn, I want to ask you, who are the instructors and which poets are they going to focus on? I'm really excited about this. This is going to be wonderful. So the first one is myself, and I will be teaching Naomi Shihab Nye. Naomi served as a chancellor of the Academy of American Poets from 210 to 215 and is the Poetry Foundation's Young People's Poet Laureate. And she was that from 2019 to 21. So she's an exciting poet, and I'm really happy to be introducing her. And then next in November, we will have Joe Hutchinson. Joe is a fabulous poet. He's Colorado's former poet laureate. So we're very honored to have him. Yeah. And he's going to be introducing Robert Bly. He was an American poet, essayist, activist, and leader of the mythopoetic men's movement. And Joe is going to be focusing on his prose writing. In January, we have Evan Oakley. He's the chair of the English and Literature Communications Department at Ames Community College. And he's an award-winning poet. And he's going to be teaching Pablo Neruda, which I'm sure will be packed. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then lastly for that series, we have Marge Han. And Marge is a very popular poet. She's a freelance editor, writer, and writing teacher. And she gives classes on Zoom and webinars. And she has hundreds of people who attend her classes and speak of her highly. She's a dynamic teacher. And she's going to be teaching E.E. Cummings. All right. Mm -hmm. That's going to be such a fun variety of both instructors and who they're focusing on. And the next question I wanted to ask you about these workshops is, who are they being designed for? And is there any particular level of poetry experience that people need to have if they want to register, they want to attend these? Oh, there's no level of poetry that people need to have to attend these. You know, (laughs) they could even be your very beginning... Uh, entree into the poetic world. Veronica Patterson started these a few years ago. She did one on Ross Gay, and I didn't know anything about Ross Gay when I attended hers, but I went home and bought like four books. So it is hoped <laughs> that, you know, when people, you know, take a deep dive into one poet, that they will be inspired and want to read more of their works and support. The other night at our open mic, which I just wanted to mention, we do have an open mic that the library helps us with as well, and that's at the Artisan's Kitchen on the last Friday of every month from 7 to 9. The other night I met this 9-year-old girl that I'm super excited about. When she heard there was a poetry reading, they were in there just shopping. Her eyes lit up, and she was so excited to meet <laughs> yeah. the Poet Laureate of Loveland. You know? <laughs> I was so excited that's so to cool. meet her. That's so cool, yeah. And she promises she'll be there next month, and she'll come to our seasonal show. And so, you know, all ages, all experience. Yeah, we really yeah. are looking for folks. They might have any level of experience, or maybe they just want more exposure to poetry, mm-hmm. and maybe they've always thought about writing poetry, but need a little bit of support to get started. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's someone who's just... They already write poetry and read poetry, and they just want to do a deep dive. The last thing here, just to set this up for folks, how are these workshops going to develop? How will they work? And what can someone expect when they attend? Is there anything they need to prepare for? Um, We will have handouts when they come, so there's nothing they need to do to prepare. And the handouts will have room to write or to take their notes. Hopefully the library will have some books on the particular poets that we're going to be introducing. You can read their works online just to get familiar. 
but really there's no preparation. Each one is going to be different. There's no template, but each instructor will present probably their greatest works, the works for which they are known. And then they will present probably their style and, you know, who they are as people and what they've done and, and things like that. And then read some of their poetry. Maybe they'll have the class read some of their poetry. That's what Veronica did. That was a really nice thing to just pick up a thing and read someone's poetry and, and get the essence of it that way. Read it aloud. Yeah. Which is necessary. <laughs> and then maybe even some of the instructors will have you write in the style of the poet or else how you were inspired by one of the poems, write from a line of the poem. That's a really good prompt, too, is to take a line and make your own poem out of a line. Anything goes. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. And mm-hmm. it, that is another thing where if you want to register for all of these, you're also going to get that kind of variety in teaching styles and how you'll receive the information, how you might create your own poetry. So yeah, it'll be fun no matter which ones you attend, or if you intend all of them, you're just going to get a lot of good. Exactly. <laughs> and you'll, just be around other people who right. have this interest you'll in make, poetry. You'll make friends. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And thank uh-huh. you for that information. And again, those dates are October 1st, November 5th, January 7th, and February 4th from 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Next... We are also fortunate enough to be able to hear some of your poetry. So I will turn things over to you, Lynn, and we will get to enjoy some of your poems. Mm, Thank you, Daniel. My first poem answers one of the questions about how do I write or what do I write about? You know, how can a person who writes a poem a day find something in the world to write about? So this is entitled Poetry in Everything. The act of creating something from nothing like the black scrawling across this white page, the way the words are downloaded from above, how very little intrudes into this moment, how if it does, it becomes part of the poem. Like the puffed up robin, still finding desiccated honeysuckle berries this far into winter. The honeysuckle was so ungangly, I almost hacked it off last year, and now I never will, knowing how cold it is outside how it might be her only meal today, how in a way putting it here on the page is a pact between me and the bird. That is what poetry does, make something out of nothing or out of every little thing. And then my next one, I've been a nurse, or I was a nurse. I retired a year and a half ago, gratefully, but I was a nurse for many years, and I was a nurse practitioner for 22 of them in the cardiology group and the cardiovascular surgical group. Prior to that, I was an ER nurse and an ICU nurse, so I have a lot to write about in the nursing world. You know, I've seen a lot and done a lot, and there's just so much to glean from that. So this one was entitled, A Short Documentary of a Life. And the epigraph is, I have walked through many lives, some of them my own, by Stanley Kunitz. A short documentary of a life. At the bedside, inside the intensive care unit, I met him for the first and last time. It was early morning, and he was dying. He knew surgery was his last chance, so when I asked him if he was having any pain, and his answer was no, it was a relief. I don't even know the next question that prompted him to begin to tell his life story, one that spanned almost 90 years. His wife by his side and I in the front row, audience to a life flashing in front of his eyes. He had to tell somebody and I was mesmerized. 
not by all the languages he knew, all the places he had been, the fascinating life he had lived, but that he would stop and smile at the end of each memory, weighing one to the next, each one precious and rare, released. And I, a stranger to him, at the bedside as a witness to the testimony of his life. What it meant, I understood, that if you can lie on this bed and tell me you were happy with it, that you experienced beauty, that you learned what love is, you might smile at the end of your story like he did. And then my last one, I was at this ritual with my really dear friend, Sharon Anhorn. You would pass around something that you read, and at the end of it, you would say, Dayanu. I think I'm saying that right. And Dayanu is a Jewish Passover song, which recounts the blessings granted by God and means that what one has already been granted is enough. So my last poem for today is entitled, It is More Than Enough. Each year, the circle tightens. If one considers it correctly, the circle constricts a bit each second. But most of life leads down an endless path, or so it would seem if one did not gaze too far into the distance. If you awaken and don't count this morning, the moon shrouded in fog over the mountains as a blessing, then what are you counting on? It could end today. And what I left behind this morning, this poem, a check for a worker with a thank you note, an email with a line of love, a pet and a kiss for my cat, and always, almost always, now that the path has narrowed, a blessing for all that I have, all I have been granted. It is more than enough. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing those, Lynn. Thank you for letting me do that. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Is there anywhere where you would like to direct listeners to read more of your poetry or hear more of your poetry or learn about anything upcoming for you? You could read my poetry on my Facebook page. I have the nerve to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to publish my daily poem on my Facebook page. People always ask me how I have the nerve to do that. But <laughs> <laughs> so you could request to friend me and I would ha be happy to do so. I could add you to my email list, or you could email me to purchase a chapbook that I published a while back, which is an ekphrastic look at artwork that I have collected by famous local artists, and that's entitled Art as Metaphor, Analogy, and Allegory. And you could always hear me read poetry and others in the community at the open mic on the last Fridays of every month at the Artisan's Kitchen from 7 to 9, and I'd love to hear your poetry or your stories, and we're even incorporating music as well. And then we have a seasonal show coming up on September 25th from 1 to 3. And that includes music, storytelling, and poetry, of course. All yeah. right. Uh -huh. Thank you. Yes. And then finally, I wanted to ask you if you have any books, or it could be books of poems that you have read recently that you recommend. Well, I've been reading a lot of Naomi Shihab Nye, as you might imagine. <laughs> I, I bought all the books I think she's written, which are a lot. She's a very prolific writer. My favorite book of hers still is Word Under Words. I recommend that highly. It's a beautiful book, and it contains many of her well-known poems. Outside of poetry, I'm preparing for a trip to Kansas to go to a music festival, which is going to be a lot of fun. And I was given the book The Worst Hard Time 
by Timothy Egan, which talks about our relationship to the land and how the dust bowl happened. And it's uh, quite a story. I can't even put it down. I just opened it up last night and I um, had a hard time going to sleep because I was reading the book. (laughs) (laughs) That is the sign of a a very good book and it grabs you right away. Right. I've always wanted to know how the dust bowl occurred. It's always been so evocative in our American history and I've always wanted to know how in the world can something like that happen. Yeah. So... (laughs) well thank you yeah thank you for those recommendations Mm -hmm. and thank you again for being on the Loveland Libcast thank you Daniel thank you for having me you're very welcome also joining me for this episode of the Loveland Libcast I have Joe Hutchison Colorado Poet Laureate from 2014 to 2019 he's published 20 poetry collections most recently Under Sleep's New Moon The World As Is New and Selected Poems 1972 to 2015 and Marked Men His poems, essays, and short fiction have appeared widely in journals including Adirondack Review, New York Quarterly, Naugatuck River Review, Pedestal, and Southern Humanities Review and in numerous anthologies including New Poets of the American West and A Ritual to Read Together, Poems in Conversation with William Stafford. He directs the Professional Creative Writing online program at the University of Denver's University College and lives in the mountains southwest of Denver with his wife, Melody Madonna. Welcome to the Loveland Libcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Wonderful to have you, and we're very lucky to have two amazing poets on this episode. I wanted to start by asking you, When did you first start writing poetry, and how did you discover your love of poetry? You know, I discovered poetry as a reader before I decided to write it. I was, I guess I would say in 10th grade, (laughs) 11th grade, and I had a fantastic teacher named Vernice Van Duzer, wonderful name, and she taught us from a college textbook called Sound and Sense. It's, I think, in its 50th printing now or something like that, but it's been around forever. Boy, I fell in love with uh, many of the poems in there. And I fell in love with reading poetry because she was a fan of close reading. So we did that. She was connected to the University of Denver through the Women's College, and she would organize uh, readers' theater performances. And so we would perform like Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock and and, uh, all the voices that are in that. And so it's a very dramatic poem when you perform it, and it just got me hooked. And so that's where I discovered that. I always loved words, but I really discovered that love of the music, which is, I think, essential for poetry. Yeah. How did your poetry practice develop from that? Did you start after reading it? Did you begin writing it as well? And then did you just start taking it more seriously or, or eventually decide you wanted to pursue it as a profession? I came in at an odd angle because I was also really, really interested in medieval history. So I would haunt that section of the Denver Public Library on weekends. And I ran across a poet, Francois Villon, who was a medieval French poet, in what turned out to be a pretty bad translation. I didn't realize how bad the translation was because they didn't speak French. Um, (laughs) But he wrote ballads and satirical poems and and things like that. He was very much an outsider 
much like the beat poets, you would say, but he was wonderful. So that's what I started out imitating was Francois Villon in these terrible translations. <laughs> um, from there, my reading spun out into other poets that were alive at the time. So I started seeing the threads of how Villon's approach to life and the way he treated language and the thought of imagery and everything still alive in the poetry of the time. So I got really interested in trying to write that, but all of my early poems were bad imitations of bad poetry. <laughs> and what does your poetry practice look like these days? I've always had a sense of resistance to a writing practice. There's a wonderful Colorado poet, Rosemary Watola Traumer, out in, uh, in the West Slope. And she writes every day, every day on her blog, there is a new poem. <laughs> and of course, you know, just like if you were writing in your notebook, it's not always even. But because of her character and because of this practice, she writes at a really consistently high level. I've never been able to do that. I admire it, but I have to kind of wait until I feel the pressure to get something down or an idea pops in my head or I have a dream that has certain effects on me. <laughs> uh, that's really how I do it. But I do tend to drop whatever is happening to get the writing done, which uh, makes me a little unreliable in social situations. <laughs> <laughs> Have you always pulled inspiration from dreams, or is that just every once in a while kind of thing? Um, you know, uh, I have, yeah. The poems that I like seem to have dreamlike qualities, even though they weren't about dreams, per se. So I was interested in how dreams inform the way we experience the world when we're awake. I didn't know it at the time, or I didn't think about it at the time, but I think that dreaming layer is ongoing. We just dip into it when we sleep, but it's always there, and that's where ideas come from, it's where inspiration comes from. So yeah, I listened to that a lot early on, and I, I still try to. I just picked up on that. That has been a very unique expression that poets have told me. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Dream is, a. I think most poets would think of it as a pretty broad thing. Not necessarily a dream that happens to you when you sleep, but that level of unconscious, sometimes subconscious imagery, stresses, impulses, all those things that are happening are always happening. I remember one of the poets I loved when I was first reading poetry was Dylan Thomas. And I could not have said in, in the vast majority of cases what in the world the poems were about. <laughs> uh, but I loved the sound of them. I loved the imagery that just seemed to flow. And he was one of those poets who, whenever he put the cup in, it came up full. You know, that was just the way he was. Yeah, that's amazing. And the last question I'd like to ask you about your poetry practice is, what is the best advice you have received about approaching or creating poetry? You know, I think you have to be non-judgmental about the work you're writing down at the moment. Judgment can come later, but if you put down a line and you immediately criticize the line, then 
you generally are going to stop the development of the poem. So you need to suspend that judgmental, critical, overeducated, probably side of your thinking and be open to whatever comes. You can always go and cross things out. You can always reorder things later, add new things, take things out. That always happens. But to get in the way of the flow is not a good idea. That directly connects to something that Lynn and I spoke about and my background in visual art, the editing part or the the judgment part, that really does have to follow the creation part. And sometimes people will shut themselves down before the creation part or during it. And then you, you don't have a lot of places to go and, and growth is a lot more difficult that way. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. It's like if a spear of grass comes up and it's underneath a stone, it'll warp itself to go around the stone. But when you move the stone, now you've got a warped piece of grass. It doesn't look right. And so you need to get the stones out of the way, clear the land a little bit and let it happen first. Yeah, that image really resonates with me. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about the workshop that will be in November. But first, we're going to be fortunate enough to hear one of your poems. And I'll go ahead and let you set that up for our audience. Okay. I thought I would read the title poem from my new book, which is Under Sleep's New Moon. It collects what I call rescued poems, poems that always nagged at me that I felt like they were close, but didn't quite come together. I got into it because of the pandemic. I was not able to write about the pandemic. I'm not sure why. I couldn't engage it until much later. But I had all this time, and I thought, well, this is a good time to go back and look at these poems. And I thought I might have 20 or 24 poems. That's what I had in my head. And I ended up with, I haven't counted the number of poems, probably twice that many, 40 or 50 poems that I resurrected. Some of them needed just a little TLC, and some of them needed major surgery. <laughs> so I'll read the title poem. Poem, the title comes from that is it's not the title of the poem. It's for James Wright, and James Wright was a major poet for me. Uh, he and Robert Bly together were major influences on what I read, how I read, how I thought about my own writing. So this poem is for him. It's called Drifting to Sleep in the Orchard. New leaves calm overhead, but higher up a rumbling wind. The Pleiades sparkle forth, then a dim gray curtain of clouds is drawn closed between us. Yet April bends my spine like a green branch, shadow-laden, starred with blossoms. Their fragrance is a thread I long to climb like braiding smoke through a smoke hole. For if a labyrinth hides inside me, so must an exit. Suddenly I realize my body is some kind of boat, a sailboat with a wind-tightened sail, moving at ease under sleep's new moon. This is an old poem, essentially, with some structural work, <laughs> but it draws on the emergence of the inner and connecting to the outer and that sense that 
you're following the drift of whatever it is that's pulling you forward. And ultimately, it feels like a sense of safety about it, uh, safety and exploration. And, and so for me, that's, that's really what poetry is about. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. You spoke a little bit about Robert Bly. That is who you have chosen to focus on for your poetry workshop, and that is going to be on November 5th. Would you be able to tell folks just a little bit more about Robert Bly or why you chose him for your workshop? Sure. Well, Robert Bly, I guess I'm concerned about presenting him as a personal enthusiasm of mine. Just speaking objectively, Robert Bly had a massive influence on changing the direction of American poetry. Between the wars and after World War One, and up into the Vietnam War, poetry in the United States was pretty staid. It was very formal. There were a lot of ancient Greek gods in it and that sort of thing. And Bly came along and brought in the influence of Carl Jung, you know, the collective unconscious, that idea. Also, surrealism from, yeah, from the surrealists in France, but he brought in Pablo Neruda and the other Latin American surrealists, and he introduced Thomas Transtromer into English. He was a friend of Transtromer. There's a wonderful book I should recommend of letters between Bly and Transtromer while Bly was in the process of trying to translate his work, and Transtromer's work is so, on the surface, simple, but complex underneath. And to capture that, it required a big fat book full of letters between them. <laughs> it's wonderful <laughs> stuff. But anyway, because of that influence, Bly has always had major detractors and major enthusiasts. So if you step back and just say, yes, he was a force in poetry, and then what kind of force was he? And one of the main things he accomplished was writing prose poems. It wasn't that he was the first in America to write prose poems. He wasn't. But he brought them in really forcefully. So let's see if I can give you a good example. This is a caterpillar my daughter brought to me, and it's for his daughter, Mary. Caterpillar. She comes and lays them carefully in my hand. A caterpillar. A yellow stripe along his back, and how hairy! Hairs wave like triumphal plumes as he walks. Just behind his head, a black something slants back like a crime, a black memory leaning toward the past. He is not as beautiful as my three-year-old daughter thinks. The hair falling over his mouth cannot completely hide his face. Two sloping foreheads with an eye between and an obstinate jaw made for eating through sleeping things without pain of conscience. He rears on my hand, looking for another world. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And that's what, <laughs> so he is always saying, I don't care about the edge. I'm going to go off the edge. I'm going to talk about the blackness right behind the caterpillar's head being like a crime. Letting go of the line is really wonderful. It's not easy to do if you've been training yourself to write lyric poetry in 
whatever form you're using. Maybe you're a formalist and you're using writing sonnets, or maybe you're a free verse poet and you're a little looser, but you're still thinking about that line and how that works. And you set all that aside and instead you focus on the image and the development of the images. And, and so that it's really useful that way, even if you don't go on to write prose poetry. Yeah. Thank you for that. Where would you like to direct listeners who might be interested in reading or hearing more of your poetry? My website is just jhwriter.com. And you can get all the books there. I generally send people to IndieBound, which if they're not familiar with it, it's a site you can go to and you put in your zip code and it gives you independent bookstores in your area. The books are available that way. Also through through Amazon, if you insist. <laughs> well, I make sure to include your website in the show notes for this episode. Finally, have you been reading anything recently, poetry or otherwise, that you would recommend that others look into? Definitely. I just finished this wonderful new book by David Mason. It's called Pacific Light, and it's from Red Hen Press. David is a wonderful poet and is really writing at the top of his game here. It's just amazing, amazing book. I encourage people to ask around for other poets from Colorado because there's some amazing work being done here. Well, thank you for sharing those recommendations. And Joe Hutchison, thank you for joining the Loveland Libcast. This was really fun. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot T-A-T-E at cityofloveland.org. See you next time.